You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 309, and this is the Daniel Glass Show, only on Drummer's Resource. This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some of the little tricks. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's the Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, Daniel Glass here from DanielGlass.com. want to welcome you all to the podcast. Uh, in this episode, I am going to start a new series, or at least talk about a new issue, a uh, series of issues uh, that I call Tackling Life Head-On. And it is my belief that life is not something that happens to us. Life is something that we create, that we make for ourselves, and therefore I like the very active verb, tackling. Uh, I like to go out, at least I like to think of my approach to life, uh, the way I try to conduct my life as as going head on, straight into it, tackling it. I sometimes think of my life and my career as a war or a battle, although not with a negative consequence. Well, there's always that negative consequence at the end of every life. But uh, what I refer to here is more, what is our approach? So in part one of tackling life head on, uh, I want to talk about a certain kind of way of doing that, and that is preparation. Uh, how do we prepare for life? How do we, uh, you know, think about our life and get ready for the life that is still coming our way? And uh, I want to begin with a little anecdote uh, that sort of brings things into focus and actually got me starting to really think about this topic of preparation. So let's flash back to the year two thousand. Uh, 11, and um, my phone rings, and it's a call from Brian Setzer's management. Of course, Brian Setzer, as you all know, was uh, the uh, one of three members of the Stray Cats, the rockabilly trio from back in the 80s. Um, in the 90s, he created a big band and had a whole new wave to his career that continues to this day, leading a, a big band in the modern world. And um, my band, Royal Crown Review, was somewhat affiliated uh, with Brian in this rise of retro swing. We um, worked uh, with Brian Setzer's band, his orchestra opening up. We had the same management team for a while. So anyway, I get this call. It's, it's been many years since you know I, we, we had this manager. We went our separate ways with Royal Crown Review. But uh, I get a call, and they say, you know, Brian's interested in working with you, possibly. And we have a couple of gigs coming up in early part of 2012. This is right around Christmas time of 2011. So the gigs are in early March. And um, we'd like you to join us on these gigs, but uh, you, um, the catch is, and it's it's two gigs, and they're a 90-minute show, big band. Now this, the Brian Setz Orchestra is a high-powered organization. It's, musically speaking, it's... uh, a very intense big band gig, hard driving grooves, big horn hits, a lot of uh, heavy reading in the charts, a lot going on. And uh, so what they they said to me is, we'd like you to do these two gigs. But the catch is, there is no rehearsal beforehand. Um, You need to come in, do the two gigs, no rehearsal, 
and we will um, see how it goes after that. And they sort of dropped the idea that if I did well on these two gigs, that, that the chair, the drum chair, would be mine. And, uh, but there was no guarantee. And I thought, wow, okay. So they sent me a DVD of a live concert of the band and said, pretty much here's the set list we're going to do. Get this material together. So uh, what am I going to do? I have to prepare for this gig. Now let me set the stage a little bit more. I I had moved to New York City the year before, uh, 2010, and I had a practice space. Obviously, I'd have to do a lot of practice slash preparation to get ready for this, for these, you know, kind of audition slash gigs. I had practice space in New York, but as you know, New York apartments are tiny, and I couldn't practice in my apartment at my leisure. So space being a premium, uh, there where I could get space to practice where it wasn't going to cost me an arm and a leg was in this place called the Music Building here in New York City. Uh, That is about 12 floors of nothing but practice spaces. And the way it goes is that they don't just rent you a room by the month. Uh, It is so expensive. Space is such a premium in this city that you literally buy a slot And the only slot in this room that was available, and that was kind of at my price range, at least where I was at then, was from 6 to 9 a.m. So I had access to the room seven days a week from 6 in the morning till 9 in the morning. Had to take the subway to get there. Now, mind you, when I got this call, we were just about at at New Year's. It happened to be a horrendous winter in New York. So I now had basically two months, all of January and February, to prepare uh, for this gig, and I had to go get up at five in the morning for two months, take the subway uh, down to my practice space. Now, let me let me paint the picture about what the music building is. Uh, think of the most nasty, uh, beer-soaked, funky bong water smelling uh, bo from a lot of stinky musician type of practice rooms that you've ever been in. And this place is that times 20. Now, every room is different because every room is its own little world. But the building is funky. It is stanky. Um, They had rehearsal kits in there. In my particular room, they're not anything nice. Uh, So, you know, it it was an intense situation. But I want to tell that story to set the stage because... Uh, as I was preparing for this gig, and I spent two solid months getting up at five in the morning, hauling my computer and my stuff down to this practice place. I mean, I could I could leave stuff there, but uh, every morning it was it was a horrible winter, twenty degrees every morning in the twenties. I was in long underwear, you know, hauling my ass out, and you know it just got me started to think about preparation. I think I had a clinic coming up. I did a festival up in Winnipeg, which was even colder than New York. And I was trying to think of what to do my clinic on. And I ended up writing a lot of my thoughts down and doing an entire clinic on preparation. So that's the stage set. Um, And let's open this up now. And let's talk, I'll get back to Brian Setzer in a minute, but let's talk about preparation in general, because preparation is a pretty broad topic. I want to start by sharing a couple quotes and stories that I've gathered over the years and in my journey as a musician, but I think this applies not only to any musician, but to anybody in life. And the first thing is, you know, people come up to me and say, well, Daniel, you know, you're so lucky because you get to tour and you get to be a professional musician. You get to play with, you know, Brian Setzer or Gene Simmons or Bette Midler or whoever. Um, and I always respond by saying, you know, there, there is no luck. I am not lucky 
Um, when I was in music school, I received one of the best pieces of advice I ever had. And my teacher said to me, was a guy named Joel DeBartolo, who is sadly no longer on this planet. But Joel was an amazing bass player. He was the bass player in the Tonight Show Orchestra, Johnny Carson's Tonight Show Orchestra, Doc Severinsen's orchestra, for the last 18 years that the show ran. And he, he was a warrior. He had been hired and fired by Buddy Rich four different times, always hired back for more money. Uh, and he was an amazing teacher and an amazing thinker and, and really laid it out. He was a realist, you know, and that was great when I was in music school. And he said, look, there's no such thing as luck. He said, luck happens when opportunity meets preparation. In other words, if you are not prepared when an opportunity shows up, you ain't going to get lucky. You're not going to be lucky. You're not going to succeed right? You know, you could have the best possible opportunity drop in your lap. If you're not prepared, then you're not going to, you know, be the quote-unquote lucky one. Uh, another little anecdote I'd like to share comes from John Riley, who uh, was, is <laughs> an amazing educator himself, an amazing uh, teacher, amazing drummer. He plays here every Monday in the Village Vanguard Band, which was started by Mel Lewis and Thad Jones. He's taught a lot of great drummers over the years. Uh, anyway, he tells a story in his DVD, The Master Drummer. He tells a story about two cars going down the road side by side. The car on the left, let's just say, is a 1990 Ford Fiesta. And the car on the right is a brand new Ferrari. Now, both of these cars are doing 70 miles an hour. But the Ford Fiesta is maxed out. It's in fourth gear. It's going as fast as it can. The wheel is, you know, steering wheel starting to shake. The car is starting to vibrate. A couple of hubcaps are popping off. Uh, it's maxed out. The Ferrari, on the other hand, is doing second gear. And at 70, maybe it's about to shift into third. Uh, So what does that mean for us as musicians? Well, what it means is when you get on a gig, you need to be the Ferrari. In other words, the amount of preparation that you do has to be so great that when you are actually on stage, you're only in second gear. You're only showing people a small percentage of what you have. Um, And, you know, again, that speaks to your preparation. Uh, I wanted to share another couple of interesting and cool thought-provoking quotes that I got off the internet, uh, which talk about preparation. Here's one from Abraham Lincoln. Give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. I love that quote. That is a great, great kind of uh, way to bring bring this idea of preparation to life. Um Here's another good one from Bear Bryant, the famous football coach. I believe he was uh, at Alabama. It's not the will to win that matters. Everyone has that. It is the will to prepare to win that matters. So uh, another great quote, another great idea that really the the key to victory and success is in preparation, uh, which, you know, again, this sort of goes back to deliberate practice, another, uh, what I talked about in episode one of the podcast, you can go check that out, where I really get into the idea of practicing itself and what that means. Um, so, in terms of life, well, what does preparation mean in terms of life? Um, so, there's there's a lot of different ways to look at this topic, and I can sort of Uh, talk about it in a very practical sense, and then I can talk about it in a much more philosophical sense. So let's start with the practical, okay? Um, 
if you're if you're thinking about life as a musician and in terms of what you are and who you are as a musician, what you want to do as a musician, so we'll just start there, something very kind of more focused, we could think about preparing in terms of setting goals. In other words, okay, we've said we want to be a musician, we want to play a musical instrument, maybe we want to have a, a living in music, we want to make money and earn a living playing music. Well, what does that mean? It means that we need to start by defining goals. And of course, goal defining is something in every aspect of life. What do you want to do, you know, specifically? So some some basic goals, again, that, that come up for a lot of different musicians. Again, it depends on where you are in life. If you're a, a younger person, a teenager, or a young kid, it might be that your goal is to take lessons this year. Uh, or it's to prepare for an audition to make first chair in you know the flute section or in the drum line or to play snare drum in the high school or college or DCI marching band, uh, it might be uh, to um, join a band. You know you want to get good enough so you can play in a band. A lot of my students, what do you want to do? I want to play in a band. And of course, it can also have to do with preparing music. So there are different ways to prepare for all of these things, and I just want to talk a little bit about what I did to prepare for my Brian Setzer gigs slash audition, because it really was an audition, and they were sort of putting me to the fire. Obviously, it's it's expensive to get 18 top-level musicians together to rehearse. That costs a lot of money, so it was sort of like, well, it's on you to get this together. So what exactly did I do? Well, there's two kinds of preparation when you're preparing for a gig like this, or really when you're preparing for any sort of musical endeavor. Uh, at least I break it down into non-musical preparation and musical preparation. So let's talk first about the non-musical preparation. Now, what that means is familiarizing yourself with what you're preparing for. So I was preparing to, you know, hopefully join the Brian Setzer Orchestra. So obviously the first thing I did was become familiar with the music, not only that they had given me, but I went and researched a lot of other Brian Setzer music. And not just Brian Setzer's big band era music, but back to the 80s to listen to the Stray Cats era music. Because a lot of the big band stuff was uh, arrangements of Brian's uh, trio stuff with the Stray Cats. So if I can learn more about the trio stuff, that will inform my understanding of the songs in the big band context. So this is the first lesson, is that this is this is what being the Ferrari is all about. It's about digging in and digging in deep and perhaps preparing for more than what you actually need to prepare for, giving yourself a broader sense. In other words, if you're preparing to, say, audition for a band or join a band or learn material in your band, find out about what is this band all about? What are their influences? What is the music that they play? What's that all about? What are some other artists that play in this style? Absorb yourself in this music. Take take this artist's music or similar artist music and make playlists. Listen to that music 24 hours a day in your car while you're driving. Of course, after listening to a Daniel Glass podcast or two. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but, you know, really surround yourself with this. If you don't quite understand how to play the music in this style, then, you know, look for some tutorials. Buy an instructional DVD. Put yourself in that environment that you are preparing for. Preparation is more than just learning songs. It's it's absorbing yourself, right? Another thing you might do is go see, you know, this band that you're preparing for, go see them live, assuming that you 
are not currently a member that you're wanting to audition for something, that's, that's another great way to go about it. Uh, anyway, let's talk now about musical preparation. Once I got this DVD, I started there. I did a lot of listening to a lot of different eras of Brian Setzer's music, but um, essentially I tried to get to the core of what is Brian Setzer's music all about. Now, you know, a lot of times music that we're learning or preparing to learn can be broken down into some more simple elements. And in this case, I sort of defined what the, the the elements were. There were songs that were in a shuffle feel and songs that were in a non-shuffle feel. Um, a lot of Brian's music is swung, is based on swung eights. So I went back and broke down what I considered to be the Setzer shuffle. So before I even learned a single song, I really focused on the groove that was at the core of a lot of Brian Setzer's music. I worked on the specifics of this. I listened to what other drummers had played in the band that had come before me. I watched what they were doing on videos. Um, I listened to the bass player because in rockabilly, which is a style that heavily uh, influences Brian Setzer's sound, uh, the slap bass, you know, that kind of chugging bass thing is a huge part of the sound. So how do you play with that in a way that is musical, that makes sense, right? So I got to the core of the groove. I got to the core of the bass line. So once I got that groove down, you know, I, I, not, I didn't just learn it, I really drove it into my brain. And I have a quote that I give to a lot of my students when it comes to learning a particular groove, a particular song, a particular style. And that is that there is a big difference between being able to play an instrument, to be able to, to, to do it, and making music. In other words, you know, if I assign something to my students, usually they come back after whatever time they practiced it, and they have prepared it, they can do it. But, you know, can you do it? Can you be the Ferrari? In other words, can you do this groove while sitting naked in the middle of the freeway with with people driving by and throwing rotten eggs at you and yelling at you? You know, can you be so deep into this that it doesn't matter what else is happening, it's into your muscle memory. And again, this goes back to the concept of deliberate practice. Um, there's, a, there's a quote that, if you haven't checked it out, there's a, there's a deliberate practice quote that I actually really love that has to do with this, which says, don't practice until you get it right, practice until you can't get it wrong, meaning that it's, it's in your muscle memory. So I took that, you know, quote unquote, sets or shuffle that I had uh, defined. And at the beginning of every practice session, every day, all I did was play the sets or shuffle. Now, how did I play this? And this is another great uh, tool in terms of pragmatic practice discussion. Uh, practice slowly. Practice slowly. So why? Well, when you take something and you break it down to its fundamental elements, if you allow for more space to be between each note or each stroke or each beat, you're going to gain a greater sense of clarity about understanding what that particular thing you are practicing is about. Um, and practicing slowly really helps you to define things. So I wouldn't practice at the tempos of the song. I would start with the groove very slow. And I would spend a long time with a click on that slow groove until it started to feel natural to me. And lo and behold, when I sped it back up and I compressed the amount of space in between each note, wow, I suddenly 
had clarity with it and I was articulating it in a clear way and I could do it without having to think about it. Now, this is really important because, you know, we all have this experience where we nail something in our practice room. We learn it that day and then we get on the rehearsal, we get on the gig. And of course, what inevitably ends up happening is that we crash and burn and blow that particular groove or fill or whatever. And the reason is, as I said, it's not in the muscle memory. We haven't done enough practicing or preparation on it yet. And you have to remember that, you know, when you are performing this, when you're making music, there's a lot of other things happening in addition to just what you are doing. There's a bass player. There are other instruments on the stage. There's a singer. You're in the context of a song. In the performance, you're in the context of a club. And there's PA uh, malfunctions. There's lights in your eyes. There's a crowd there. There's the cute girl in the front row. All of that stuff. So that all is going to figure in. And if you don't have this groove locked if you don't have it in your muscle memory, if you haven't done the deliberate practice, then it's 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 not going to be there. So that was something that I really wanted to get down. In other words, in my preparation for being the Ferrari for this Brian Setzer audition slash gig, I wanted to be so practiced that all I had to do was walk out on stage and watch the boss and enjoy the experience. I didn't want to have to think about anything. And that's, I think, where we have to go with our preparation. If we are serious about wanting to get the gig or elevate our career, then that's how serious we have to be. That's how we have to think about it. So once I got the basic grooves down, then I started working on the songs. And I didn't, again, I didn't just uh, you know, run the song through a bunch of times start to finish. I started by charting out the song and and yeah, I ran through it, but then I I highlighted the, the spots where I had difficulty, and I unplugged those from the whole groove, and I deliberately practiced them. So whether it was a particular, you know, groove variation, I, I stopped, took, took a step back, and really got deep with that. If it was a fill, now remember, this is a big, big band gig, and so there are a lot of fills flying by. It's a chop-heavy gig. Playing big band for a drummer is probably one of the most difficult drumming jobs there is in the world because you're driving the band, you got to set up all the fills, you got to hold 18 musicians together, and doing it at very loud volumes, as in the case with this band, adds a whole nother layer of you got to do it, you know, with a lot of force. So I worked on a lot of the fills and dealing with uh, all of the big band issues. And then, of course, you know, there's intros, there's outros, there's transitions, um, all these different things that are going to come up musically. So I spent two months and I worked on it in this manner. I was very, I had a clear plan of action. I had a goal, I had a clear plan of action how to get there. And uh, in the end, the gigs went great. I killed it. I had a blast because I was simply enjoying myself and focusing on what I needed to, which was Brian at the front of the stage. And it ended up that I played two years with the band and had a great time. So let's turn the corner now and go to another kind of preparation, because in a sense, that the, the type that I just described, which is goal-oriented, you know what you're preparing for, and you know, uh, you know how you're going to get there, what, you can create a path to get there. That's easy to define, I guess you could say. It's not simple to do, it's not simple to achieve, but it's simpler to define. A lot of other musicians are in a much different situation. In other words, they're in a situation where they say, well, I, you know, love playing the drums, 
and I would love to get to the next level. I'd love to play with somebody great. I'd love to be great, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to prepare, and I don't know what I'm preparing for. So this is what I'd like to address now, and I'd like to to uh, address this particular point by telling another anecdote. This anecdote relates to a drum camp that I did in the summer of 2014 in Los Angeles with two good friends and partners, um, Bruce Becker and Mark Schulman, two excellent drummers, two excellent educators. And we put together a camp called the Triple Threat Drum Camp, which was a really great experience. It was the first time I dipped my toe into that water, the, the drum camp water. And what we try to do in addition to sharing a lot of great information and technique and other stuff, was at the end of every day, we sat down with the campers and we just said, hey, you guys ask us anything you want, anything you want, any questions you have about music, drumming, your career, your life, you know, whatever. So this this gal in the camp raised her hand and she asked a great question. She said, you know, and I can't, I'm, I can't remember the name of the artist that she mentioned, but she said, there's this particular artist I'm a huge fan of hers. I've seen her a bunch of times. She's a big national act. And my goal is to play with her. Now, I live in, she lived in Northern California somewhere in a small town. Um, and I, I, I don't know how to get there. You know, I, I live in a small town. Uh, I, I'm a good drummer, but she doesn't know me from a hill of beans, and I don't know what to do. So, I, I sort of feel this, fielded this question, and I kind of laid out a path that she could take. Now, the first thing is, if, if you, you know, a lot of people would just simply say right off the bat, well, there's no way I could ever do this, right? There's no way. A, I'm not good enough. B, I have no access to this person. You know, I'd love to play in this famous band, or I'd love to play with this artist. Um, and they don't even allow themselves the chance to dream. And I don't know if you guys remember... Uh, Barack Obama, President Obama, published a book called The Audacity of Hope back in the early, uh, when he was first running for president. And whether you like or hate Obama, it doesn't really matter. I like the phrase, the audacity of hope, because it, 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 it means that most people are afraid to be hopeful because they're afraid their hopes will be dashed. They're afraid to dream because they're afraid they won't, they won't make their dreams. So if you are someone who dreams and really goes for your dreams, then you are audacious in doing that. And I'd like to submit to you right now that that is exactly what we have to do as musicians. You're in the arts, people. It's not an easy way to go in life. So if you're making the decision that you want to have a living in the arts, then you've got to be bold, you've got to be fearless, you have to be audacious, and you have to dream. You have to dream. You have to have crazy big dreams that may seem like unbelievably insurmountable, and yet you got to dream them and you got to go for them. If you don't dream it, it will not happen. If you don't create that reality in your mind, then you have, you, you have no goal to go for. And, you, and sometimes your dream is your goal. Now, granted, this is not easy. And the majority of people who are too afraid to dream are simply going to tell you, well, it's not possible. You're foolish. You know, you're an idiot. Why would you ever, you know, nobody gets that, this and that and the other. But I can tell you, as someone who's somewhat on the other side, that, you know, I had some pretty audacious dreams and 
um, I have managed to achieve my dreams and my goals. Now, you know, a lot of people again say, well, you're lucky, you know, or, you know, you, well, yeah, you do you great work. Well, I can tell you that, you know, in, in around the year 1999, 2000, I set out to, um, document and sort of, uh, help, the world learned more about vintage drumming and, and classic American styles of drumming and the drum set because I'd had some great experiences in the 90s with my band Royal Crown Review. And I realized that there was a, a great story to tell here and nobody had told it. And when I went to some of my, you know, uh, my, my teachers, mentors, they, even, even some of uh, people who are high-level educators said to me, well, what do you want to do that for? Nobody's interested in drum history. Literally, that's a quote. Nobody's interested in drum history. You can't sell drum history, you know? And no company is going to get behind you because uh, if you're talking about vintage drums, how are these companies they all sell? They want to sell their contemporary gear today in, in the 2000s or in 2000. So I said, thank you very much, and I continued to follow my dream. And it's taken a lot of years and a lot of hard work, but today I'm kind of known in the drumming industry as the history guy. And I think more and more people are um, seeing the uh, discovery of the exploration of our tradition, our history, not only in the drumming community, but in, in, you know, in the world at large. If you present it the right way, people will come with you on the journey. And it's about learning and persevering. And so anyway, that's a, you know, that's the first thing that I said to these students is that you got to have your dream. So, so this woman did have her dream, and that's awesome. So step one, well, you got to start preparing. And, you know, even if you don't have the gig yet in that band, start preparing as if you do. In other words, go through the same, um, you know, this, the same preparation techniques that I went through to prepare for Brian Setzer. Start absorbing yourself in the music. Start learning the music, learn it deeper, learn what the artist is about, learn who influenced them, and learn that music, uh, and just have a great time throwing yourself into this. It will be an amazing experience that will affect you in a tremendous way, and it's also a way to help focus you, because a lot of people say, well, you know, I don't know how to prepare. There's so many things I could study. There's so many things I could practice. There's so many things that I could work on. And what ends up happening is, and this is what I again talk about in my deliberate practice um, podcast, that that most people end up dibble-dabbling in a lot of different things on a very shallow level instead of really analyzing and digging in deep with a few things at a very deep level and then allowing the process of evolution to start from there. So, Prepare, focus your preparation on your dream. And it doesn't matter what your dream is, define your dream, pretend that your dream is a reality or going to be, and start preparing accordingly. Throw out all of the I'm not good enough, throw out the excuses, throw out the, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I live in a small town, there's nothing happening around here. That's one that I get a lot. A lot. And so I have two answers for that. Number one, there's a lot happening on your iPod. <laughs> you know, if you can't play with the greatest musicians that you want to play with, well, put on their music and play with that and start there. That's what I did in this preparation for the Brian Setzer gig. I, I played along with this DVD. I analyzed the DVD. I jumped in and absorbed that and, and then other music as well. So, you know, when you put on a Rolling Stones 
track and you play along with that, essentially you are jamming with some of the greatest musicians in the world. I always assign my students to play along with Freddie Freeloader, Miles Davis, as one of the first things that we do, and we work on certain things with that track. But again, man, everybody in that band is an all-star. <laughs> what are you waiting for? So it, you know, it doesn't matter if you don't have the greatest musicians in your immediate area. And the second point I would make to the, well, I live in a small town, there's nothing happening here, routine, is make something happen. You know, my philosophy has always been, and I learned this from being in Royal Crown, and maybe I'll do a whole podcast about this, but if if nobody is making it happen for me, I will make it happen myself. I am not going to wait for anybody to make it happen. And, you know, again, of course, I wait for my phone to ring, but in the last 15 years, my phone is ringing more about brand Daniel, Daniel Glass Incorporated, and and a lot less about me sitting there waiting for someone randomly to call me for a gig and, you know, how am I going to make my living doing that? In other words, that's part of tackling life head on is we're creating our own brand. We're creating our own business. We are preparing for a successful brand as a musician through through every day in life. You know, this is all part of preparation. And even if it's not happening, you should be preparing now. And again, preparation can take many forms, not just the musical part. So to get back to the story of this gal, if she focused on that material, if she knew every in and out of that artist, well, if she gets the chance to play with that artist, shebang, there you go. Here's another great story that I heard from Greg Field, an excellent swing and jazz drummer. Now he's more, almost more of a producer. Uh, Greg played with uh, Count Basie. He was Count Basie's drummer while Basie was still alive. He played with Harry James while Harry James was still alive. He played uh, with Frank Sinatra. He was Frank Sinatra's last drummer. When Greg was a young guy, when he was a teenager, he was obsessed with with Count Basie and and swing music in general. He told the story about Count Basie in particular. And this was, I think, the early or the mid-70s. He grew up in the Bay Area. Now, in the early and mid-70s, as you may recall, swing and big band drumming was not exactly hip, right? Rock and roll was in big time, prog rock, arena rock, 70s rock. Greg, on the other hand, was a freak for the older stuff. And he knew every Basie album, every Basie track, He didn't, you know, he was dreaming about one day playing with Count Basie, but he was a teenager. So Count Basie comes to town, and they're doing like a two-week stint at a club, playing there every night, a couple shows a night. Greg is a huge fan, and he's always hanging out at the stage door in between shows to get the guys autographs, talk to them. The great drumming legend Sonny Payne was playing with Basie at this time. So... I wish when I was a 15-year-old kid, I had the chance to meet Sonny Payne. I'll tell you that. I'm a huge fan, and the more I learn about Sonny Payne, the more I'm impressed I am with how important he was in not only the Basie sound, but the, the stuff that Sinatra did with Basie. That's, that's huge stuff. Uh, important stuff. Groove stuff. Anyway, so Greg is hanging out one night between shows, and I kid you not, literally, uh, somebody comes running in and goes... My God, Sonny Payne's not going to be able to make the next set. Is there a drummer in the house? Now, (laughs) this couldn't be a better example of what I'm talking about. So Greg puts up his hand, and he sits in with the band for a set or a song or two and makes an amazing impression. 
Count Basie looks up, man, this kid knows every inch of this material. And although Greg didn't get the gig at that moment in time, down the road, he's pursuing his dreams of being a swing drummer. His name is thrown around. And lo and behold, he gets the gig with Count Basie. So this is the next lesson that I shared with this gal, which is get to know the people you want to play with. You know, if you don't know this artist, then maybe you know somebody who does. Maybe you know somebody who's in the crew. Maybe you know somebody who is the lighting director. Maybe you can find out the publicist and write them. Maybe you can just send an email to the artist and they'll get back to you. Um, My little niece, who's an 11-year-old girl, was uh, um, a huge fan of, I believe the name is Lorena McKinnett, a singer, and she wrote her uh, an email, just wrote her an email. I don't know if she sent it on Facebook or off her website. It said, I'm a huge fan of music. I love you. And the woman wrote back and said, great, and got her free tickets for the next show. So reach out to people. Um, if, if they're maybe too famous you know, to, to be checking their own email or getting back to you, find someone who knows them or find someone who's doing a band that's similar and start playing with that person. If you get yourself in that community of people that are around that artist, then your chances of meeting or knowing or getting to know that artist or more important, get, having them getting to know you will be increased substantially. Okay, so you could do that from the privacy of your own computer. Um, If your dream is that big, then maybe the next step after you've been preparing for a while is to move to a bigger music town. This is what a lot of musicians do. This is part of what preparation is. They may not have any big gig yet, but they go there as part of their preparation. So I moved to Los Angeles when I was 22 years old to pursue my dreams of being a musician. I didn't know what I was going to end up doing or how that was going to manifest itself, but I knew that if I wanted to do that, I had to be there. I've got a lot of students that have, you know, I recently moved to Austin. I recently moved to Nashville, trying to get my act together, trying to get to the next level. Uh, I do consultations with them about just these very kinds of things. So, you know, reach out and try to put yourself in that artist's circle. Um, I guarantee you, you know, the circle fans out. It fans out pretty wide. So maybe you meet somebody who plays a similar style and they've opened for that artist. Well, get to know them. If you're such a big fan, you'll have something in common to talk about. Uh, if 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 you're both big fans of this artist, then you can join that band. Now, Maybe that band starts doing better because you've been putting in your preparation and you've been getting better and better and practicing and you have an opportunity to open for that artist. Well, hey, now that artist may have a chance to actually see you or somebody in that artist's management may see you. When Royal Crown Review was out on the road in the 1990s, we did all kinds of different tours. We met all different kinds of musicians and you know we were always being thrown into situations where essentially it was about uh, your, you know, how, what kind of an impression were you making? And again, this, this goes back to what have you been doing for the last 10, 15 years preparing yourself? Uh, so suddenly you may be in that situation where you're under the gun, people are watching you. You have a great opportunity to make an impression and meet those artists that you've always wanted to meet, get to know them on a, on a more intimate, personal level. Uh, and then hopefully eventually work with them if that's your goal. But if you haven't been preparing, if, you know, those opportunities will be lost. So uh, that's 
you know, what I was able to to tell this woman. And it certainly is a story, I think, if you look at many success stories, you know, they don't just happen because somebody happened to be in the right place at the right time. They were in the right place at the right time, but they had been preparing for that opportunity for a long time. They had been seeing that goal in their mind, even when no one else saw it, particularly when no one else saw it. Thanks so much for listening to the Daniel Glass podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to follow me on Facebook at Daniel Glass Drummer, Author, Educator. And please make sure to jump over to iTunes and give us a rating on this podcast. Whether you liked it, whether you hated it, one star or five stars, every rating truly helps. We'll see you next time around.